We're in Acts chapter 20 today. We're going to be resuming in verse 18. But I want to go back and refresh a little bit with verse 16 and 17. So we read in verse 16, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. He had planned to go back. He wanted to be there for the day of Pentecost, and he was on this trip back. He got diverted in Syria, then went back to a different route, going back over the route that he came, so that he can continue on to get to where he wanted to go. He passed Ephesus on the way and went to Miletus. He says that he wanted to avoid going uh, to Asia. He had nothing against Asians. This was just the fact that he was going to be in Miletus for just a few days. He didn't want to go up to Asia because he knew if he went up to Ephesus, he was going to be there for a while. He would have to go back through each of the churches and fellowship with everyone. So he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to have the pastorate come and meet with me in Miletus. That was a, a three-day routine because he had to send people up there and they had to come back. And that was going to take about three days total to get them back in Miletus, but that was still going to be faster than him going up to Ephesus. If he went up to Ephesus and only visited one of the churches, the others would have felt, felt shunned, you know? So he wasn't going to do that. So he brings these leaders from Ephesus back. Remember, these are pastors that he raised up in the school of Tyrannius, that he was there for years pouring into them. And he left them there to take over the work that he was doing. Now, I was considering this, and then I considered something even deeper. Uh, he wanted to pour into these guys. He didn't want to go back there and make it about himself. He didn't want to go back to the churches and here I am, Paul, I'm coming back so all of you can hear from me. He wanted those pastors that he had set up to establish themselves as the overseers for the church. When we came here and planted this church, we were on our own. We didn't bring in a bunch of pastors from our last church so they could show and give us credibility. We came here because the Lord was the one to call us to this place and to plant this church. And so Paul was passing on to the next pastors, these new pastors, to take over those churches. Today's message is titled, The Miletus Pastors Conference. <laughs> he called these pastors to come and meet with him. First pastor's conference in the Bible. I've been to many pastor's conferences. They're great. We as pastors need them. We need to have the fellowship with the other pastors, but we also need to be poured into. 
I do that online. I listen to different teachings from different pastors from all over the country. And I always get something out of the teaching that I need to hear. The Lord always leads me to the right teaching at the right moment. And sometimes I attend these pastors' conferences. They bring pastors in around a theme. They teach a message, and it encourages us as pastors. We don't come back to the church and then give that same message to the people in the church, to our flocks, but it encourages us and it helps us to be better pastors, to come back and keep our focus so that we can deliver a message to the flock that the flock needs here. Every church, there are other churches out there right now that are teaching from this very scripture today, but they're not going to teach what I teach today. Because that isn't what their churches need to hear. God, the Holy Spirit, will produce a message that people in their churches need to hear. Today, this message is for you from the Lord. We're going to continue this. And by the way, as a pastor, this isn't just for pastors. Don't tune out. Don't say, hey, I'm not a pastor. I didn't want to hear this. No, don't tune out because the message, every message from Paul is for each one of us individually as well as collectively. So we're going to pick up in verse 18 where Paul says, well, actually Luke, he's writing it. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. So here is Paul saying, I came to you humbly. Sometimes when you hear someone say that, you say, that's not very humble. You know, you, you have to talk about your humility. No, Paul wasn't trying to make himself stand out. He wasn't trying to get them to worship him. But he was reminding them of how he interacted with them. He was humble. He wasn't trying to force them into anything. He was declaring the good news, even while he was being attacked by the Jews. Everywhere he went, he was attacked by the Jews because he was a Jew. Not only was he a Jew, he was a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had a fantastic pedigree. But he was teaching something that went against what they believed. Unfortunately, they weren't paying attention to their own scriptures. Otherwise, they would have recognized the Messiah when he came. Instead, they crucified him. And so why would Paul expect any less? Because he was doing the same thing that Jesus was doing. He was out there preaching the good news. He was actually performing miracles himself. I know a few weeks ago we talked about the fact that he was mailing out handkerchiefs and people were getting 
cleansed and healed from the handkerchiefs that they just touched uh, one of his handkerchiefs. And he wasn't really mailing them out. That's something we do today. But, uh, and I haven't heard anybody getting healed from a handkerchief. Have you? No? Okay, good. So here he is interacting, but he's talking to pastors again, telling them, look, this is the way I came in. Why is he telling them this? Because he wants them to act the same way. He set the example for them. I don't care what your role is in Christianity. If you're a volunteer, if you're someone who is a believer who's walked with Jesus for years, or a new believer, it doesn't matter what your role is, what you consider yourself, other people are watching. And you set the example for them of what a Christian is. I just wanted to throw that weighty thing out there to put a little weight on you. And, and that's just something that's heavy. And when we consider it, when we really consider what our role is in the family of Christ, it's to represent Christ. And that's for every one of us, not just for pastors. And Paul says, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So here he talks about how he was interacting with them. He started in the school of Tyrannius. Well, actually, he started in the synagogue. Remember, he met the 12 that didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he met these 12 men. And he taught them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They became spirit-filled. And then he brought them into the synagogue and started teaching in the synagogue the other Jews. But the Jews rejected the teaching. So he left and started the school. Well, it, he didn't start the school of Tyrannus. It was an actual school. It operated in the morning and the late afternoon and early evening. That was the school hours. During the middle of the day, it was closed because all businesses closed during the middle of the day. That's just their normal cycle. And so he rented that place during the middle of the day when all the businesses were closed. And he would hold school every day in the school of Tyrannus for over two years. And so he was raising these men up. Then he planted churches, obviously, going house to house, it says. Well, we still do that today. We meet with each other, going house to house, fellowshipping, having dinner together, having different events together. That's what we do in fellowship. Sometimes it's the pastor going. Sometimes it's just people getting together. And that's a good thing. But Paul was part of that. He was the one that was setting the example for the pastors and for the church, churches in Ephesus, 
that he was writing to. Verse 22, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul knew what he had coming. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that when Paul was on the road to Damascus and he saw the light shine down upon him and Jesus spoke with him, he had his face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. He was blinded and then sent to Damascus. And then Jesus spoke to a man named Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go and lay hands on Saul. And he had lost his sight. You're going to give it back to him. Ananias was like, Saul? I heard Saul. He's out there persecuting the church. You want me to go hang out? Don't you hate it when God sends you somewhere you don't want to go? God does that. He sends you someplace that's going to be uncomfortable. Or sends you to talk to the person that you're like, I don't like that guy. I don't like that woman. But if God puts it on your heart, just do it. Because it's him that's doing the work. Maybe it doesn't mean all of a sudden you become best friends. Maybe you're there just to give them one last chance to hear the good news. One last chance to recognize that God is speaking to them. He may be using you to do that. If they don't listen, that's not your problem. You aren't bound by that. Ananias, Jesus spoke directly to him. He said, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Jesus showed Paul what he was going to suffer. He already knew. Wouldn't you love that information? No, you wouldn't. If you knew the things that you were going to have to go through in your life before they happened, you wouldn't handle it. It would be too much. I know it would be for me. I would never have expected God to get me through so much to get me to the place where I am today. But that's the evidence of God. Because he has done that. He has been there every step of the way. He has strengthened me when I was weak. He gave me wisdom when I was dumb. Don't say it. I, I have the mind of Christ. So I read that somewhere. Paul was talking about himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 4. When he said, 
he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. He was talking about himself. You see, he had gone into Lystra and the Jews from Iconium came down and attacked him, pulled him out of the city and stoned him to death outside the city. Even his own disciples came there and stood over him and said, oh, he's dead. They, dead is the same 2,000 years ago as it is today. You know, it, there's not a new kind of death. All right, so they recognized that he was dead. And many commentators, most commentators believe that that was the time where Paul had this interaction in heaven where he saw, and, and he even says when he's writing that, I, I was either in my body or out of my body. I don't know. I don't know what I was. I felt like I was in my body, but here I was in heaven. And I heard inexpressible things I can't talk about. I can't even share. It's illegal for me to share them. How come there are so many authors that write books about their heavenly experiences, near-death experiences? I went to heaven for 30 minutes and, and you have all these books that tell us about heaven. They're beautiful. They're wonderful books. You read them. Oh, they're so good. They make me feel so good. You know, I, I haven't read any. But, <laughs> but they make movies out of them. And it's really all. Paul said he went there and he was not allowed to bring back the information from heaven. There were inexpressible words spoken up there that were unlawful for him to bring back. Why is that? Because we can't have knowledge of heaven even by someone else telling us it wouldn't really allow us to understand reality. We wouldn't understand even if Paul was able to, Paul didn't write a book on heaven. My heavenly experience by Paul, the apostle. He didn't do it. Why? Because I believe that God doesn't want us to focus on heaven. He wants to focus on him while we're here. Now, we can be heavenly minded. We can know in our hearts that Heaven is real. We're going there. Heaven is real. That was a movie, wasn't it? I, I, but don't watch it just because I said that, okay? Please. But we know that it's there because the Word of God tells us that it's there. But how come we weren't given a lot of details? Well, if you read the book of Revelation, we're given a lot of details about things that take place in heaven. We can't even fathom what they look like. John was like, I, 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 see, I saw something like this. I saw something like that. I heard all of this going on, all this worship. And, and, but there weren't a lot of details about what we're going to be doing in heaven. And I believe that's important for us. 
because we need to be focused on what we're doing here on earth. What if I told you about a city I visited and I went there to this city and it was just beautiful, pristine. There was no weeds in any of the planters. Everything was green and lush. The food tasted better than any food I've ever had anywhere in the world. The food was better there. And it was half price. <clears throat> and the, the whole environment there, there was no traffic. Everyone drove the speed limit. I know some of you, your heads are spinning right now. What are you talking about driving the speed limit? They were all doing that and, every, and there was no traffic. And, you know, the, the parks were beautiful and everybody was just getting along. It was just a sweet place to go. Would you want to visit? Well, see, you're missing one part of this. I didn't tell you where it was. And if I don't tell you where it is, you can't get there. You'd just be wandering aimlessly looking for where this city is. And that's what people are doing, looking for heaven. They're looking, but they don't want to follow directions. They just want it to be dropped in their lap. They want it freely given to them, but they don't want to actually have to go there. They don't want to have to actually do anything to access heaven. But the, the work was done on the cross. That was our ticket into heaven. The work was done by Jesus. We don't even have to do that. We don't have to go to the cross. All we have to do is receive the gift that was given to us through Jesus Christ. And then we can be in heaven too. But if I sat here telling you all about heaven and didn't tell you how to get there, I would be a bad pastor. And so my job on earth is to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to explain what this word says. That's my whole role and I love you guys. I love having fellowship with you. I love the Thanksgiving dinner that we have every year. It's just a great time of fellowship and good food. And I just love all of that. But the most important thing for me is that you understand what a relationship with Jesus Christ is. And how we're all tied together in him and how we're going to eventually be with him forever. Some of us have had loved ones that are there right now. And we miss them. We miss them a lot. I know every one of us have had someone that has gone on to be in heaven. Here's the good news. If they're believers in Jesus Christ, they're not up there thinking man, I'd like to be back down there on earth. 
Nope. They are enjoying every moment with God the Father, the Son, Jesus. They're all there. Enjoying every moment. And they can't see what's going on here. Would you want to see what's going on here if you were in heaven? They can't see what's going on here. Because if they did, heaven would be a sad place. Because they would see the people that are here that are missing out. They're, they're not walking in truth. They're, they're completely confused by the world and they don't know who Jesus is and they're standing with him. They're living with him. They're enjoying all of heaven. They would be in tears if they could see what was going on on the earth. Besides, I don't want any of them to see me when I'm showering or anything. You know, that's kind of weird. Anyway, this is the good news. We go there, and once we're there, uh, we are there forever. You know, there's uh, no temporary plan. Okay, you're there temporarily, you know, and it'll get better. Maybe you'll get to the next level of heaven if you work your way up. None of that. We just follow the word of God. But we need the roadmap to get there. Here's the roadmap. Here is, you don't need GPS. Just need a Bible. And, and then hear from the Lord. Paul gives them some bad news in verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I test to you, testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's a pastor telling pastors, I gave you everything you needed to know. I shared with you everything that you needed to know. At Calvary Chapel, that's one of the most important things we do is share the gospel verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We go through the whole thing. We want everyone to know the truth. We don't want to say, oh, okay, well, you don't need to know that. Or we can pass over that. We can gloss over that. We don't understand that. So we're not going to talk about that. No, we cover it all because God gave it to us so that we could cover it all, so that we could know uh, what he was sharing. And Paul said, I'm, I'm, I've declared to you all of it. Now remember, he didn't have the New Testament. He was writing it. He didn't have it. He had the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, he was sharing the things that talked about Jesus. He shared the information that led to the Messiah. The Jews didn't believe in Jesus being the Messiah, but Paul made it clear. No, he was, and here's why. And he filled in all the blanks so that they understood who Jesus is. And they still didn't agree. You know why? They didn't want to have to believe that they were wrong. That's the world today. The world today doesn't want to have to believe they're wrong. They'd rather believe that they're good and that everything they do is good. But me as a pastor, I believe in Ezekiel chapter 33. I believe in being a watchman on the wall. 
I believe in sharing the truth so that I can warn everyone that this is what the Word of God says. What people do with it is up to them. But as long as I warn people, and Paul knew the Word of God perfectly, he was probably writing this in that context, understanding that he was a watchman on the wall sharing the Word of God and that they needed to hear it. But he was guilty of no one. He was not going to be guilty of the blood of any man because he told them the truth. As a watchman, what if you told people, hey, the enemy is coming and they didn't respond? Well, that's their fault. But... What if it was only two guys out there in the field? Oh, the enemy is coming. Well, we're not going to have 10,000 guys to go against two guys. So it's good to know the details of who's coming. There's a thousand guys in chariots and another hundred on horseback. They're coming. Oh, we better prepare an army to defend against that. But sometimes... People feel that the message that's given by pastors is critical of others. Oh, you're being critical. You're being critical of the pastors that have these huge churches because you're jealous. You're jealous that they have these massive churches and so many people and so much money coming in and not jealous at all. I feel sorry for them. Because Jesus isn't the focus. The church is. The money is. Jesus is not the focus. And so once we lose sight of the famous one. And we start focusing on what pastors are doing. Celebrity pastors. You've heard the term? Celebrity pastors that are out there spreading the word. Um. When you're focused more on the celebrity pastor and not on the famous one, then we've lost sight of the truth. God didn't call pastors to become famous. God called pastors to point to the famous one. And that's what our role is. So don't look past, look past me. I want you to see Jesus. I don't want you to see me. I know sometimes I block him out. I'm trying to get out of the way. But look past me and see him, please. Now he's going to provide some details uh, to these pastors in verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his blood. That's what we celebrated today in communion. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. And for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will raise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch 
And remember, for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, day and night with tears. And so we're supposed to be on the watch. We're supposed to be careful because there are wolves that try to get into the church because they want to lead people away from the church. Now, we have a small church, so it's kind of easy to see a wolf in a smaller church. In big churches, it's harder to see when there are wolves. But every church I have ever been in, there have been wolves. There have been people in the church, regardless, we've been in churches of 8,000, we've been in churches of 2,000, we've been in churches of 500, and we've been in churches where there was only 10. You know, initially when we started out, there was very few people, but you know what? There were still wolves. And it was easier to spot them early on but then when they become part of the flock and then they try to take people out of the church, oh, that pastor, he's not teaching the right thing. Oh, he's missing out on this part. You don't have to agree with everything that I say theologically. You really don't. I don't want you to believe everything that I say theologically. I want you to check it out for yourself. I want you to be a Berean. I want you to read the word and you decide for yourself. The Holy Spirit will tell you whether or not it's true. But this is what I believe. That's why I'm here teaching it. If I didn't believe this, I wouldn't teach it. I would teach something that was just a lot easier to hear so that you would all come in here and think I'm the most wonderful pastor. I'm so loving. I really am. And, and because I am, you should donate more money. Because, you know, I, I had a flat tire and I need to get a new tire now. And uh, that's not what we're about. You know, we're, we're not about growing the body of Christ in numbers. We're about growing the depth of people in their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. If we are growing in numbers, that's a great thing. But I want every person to be part of what Jesus is doing, not part of what I'm doing. And that's the most important thing. Paul's going to close this out now. So, now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We have an inheritance. This is good news. And God's inheritance, by the way, you know, sometimes people think, okay, well, I'm only going to get a little bit because it's all going to be used up. By the, Billy Graham's just going to take a big chunk of that. You know, what kind of part of inheritance am I going to get? God, he has unlimited resources. His economy never suffers. You know, when Jesus said, I go up to build a place for you, I'm, I'm preparing a place for you to go. It, it, it's going to be so amazing. It, it's going to, when we compare it to anything we have here, we're going to say, oh, why did I even focus 
on what I had here? Why did I even think about what I have here? Because of what he has given us and what we've inherited from him. Paul goes on to say, I have coveted no one's silver or gold apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord that he said, it's more blessed to give than receive. He's not trying to teach them to tell that to the flock so they'll give you more money. He's telling them, be blessed by giving. And you're going to receive many blessings in return. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. So Paul addressed five sins that were destructive to the ministries and to the pastors. He first um, the, talked about shallow, uh, careful, carelessness, excuse me, carelessness. And he referred to, in verse 31, he referred to the carelessness uh, that can happen in pastors' lives. Therefore, watch. If we're not watching, we're being careless. And remember that for three years he didn't warn. He spent three years warning them. So he cared very deeply. And he said, watch out for being careless. And then in verse 32, he said that he commends them to the word of the grace, which was built up and to give them an inheritance. But he's talking about being shallow, not being deep into the word, not being deep into grace, but being shallow. And there are pastors out there that are very shallow. They need to develop their relationship with God and continue developing. If a pastor doesn't stay in the word and stay committed to keeping that relationship to the best that it can be, they become shallow and they miss out. They're, they become ineffective. They start to do things in their own power and not in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not healthy. In verse 33, he mentions, I've coveted no one's silver or gold apparel. He's saying, look, I worked for myself. I worked and I did what was necessary to provide for my own needs. It's called a tent maker. It's what I do. I work a job, still full-time, so that I can pay for my family's needs. That's because God has blessed me with that job. God didn't say, okay, you're a pastor now, go and be blessed by the church. Although I believe that a church should be able to provide for a pastor and his family. But that's not what God told me to do. God said, put the money back into the church. And that's what we do here. So we are very blessed because we get to partake in the church that God provides through your funds. And then the outreach is amazing. We are live online and this message goes out to all those people that are online. Hello, people. And 
while we're going out to those people, we don't know. They may see this message a week from now, two weeks from now, a month from now. It's all out there and people watch because we can see the number of hits that we're getting on YouTube, on Facebook, on Roku TV, and on our Apple TV channel. People are watching. And so this message is the Lord reaching out to places all over the world. But we're not coveting because of that. We're not now looking to try to raise funds because of that. We're just blessed because the Lord provides for all of our needs. And we're very, very blessed. 34 says, Yes, you yourselves know these hands have provided. Pastors sometimes become lazy. And they stop doing the work. They start building up staff around them to do everything for them. And then they don't get involved and they're not engaged with the flock and they become lazy. I, I, don't, I don't understand that, to be honest with you. I've seen it. I don't understand it. But I'm not going to criticize anyone. Oh, I just did. Um, selfishness. Selfishness is the, the final thing that we see in verse 35. I have shown you in every way the laboring like this, you must support the weak. And remember the words of Jesus when he said it's more blessed to give than receive. We shouldn't be selfish with what we have. We should give that. And that's how come the stuff that you give, the money you give that comes into the church, when we see needs, we, give, we bought a van for the pastors in Ukraine so that they can get people out of Ukraine. We bought a van. I sent the money. You provided the money. And it went there and they got that van and it saved human lives that were there in Ukraine. Isn't that awesome? And so the outreaches that we have, the different ministries that we support, um, you know what? God just puts an open door before us and says, here, here's a ministry. Go support this. Go do that. And we can because of your blessings, because of your funds. We, we aren't selfish with the money that comes in here. And so we're very grateful. Paul was teaching this to the pastors so that they can give this message to the flock, but even more so, so they can be examples to their flock. We close considering the Miletus Pastors Conference and how it applies to us today. Paul was teaching pastors how to be better pastors. And those pastors are going to take what they learned from Paul and apply it in each of their churches. And their churches would become healthy and they would be focused on the right things, not the wrong things. The important takeaway from this message is be careful who's teaching you. Because there are people out there that aren't teaching the truth, that aren't focused on the Lord, but they're focused on ministry, theology, doctrine. Be careful. Be a Berean. Check the word for yourself, because that's the most important thing. Doesn't matter who you are, each of the teachings that Paul teaches and he wrote one-third of the New Testament, each of them are for you personally also. 
So consider that as we read, as we go over these things. It isn't something we leave in church. It's something we take home and put into action. Amen?